This is Top CEO. The show about CEOs making tough decisions. Featuring CEOs from startups, scale-ups, and Fortune 500 enterprises, Top CEO is a business school case study. Telling the story behind the story and what you can learn from it from those who have faced the fire and come out the other side. Welcome to the Top CEO Podcast. I feel like everything that I touched could turn into gold and then suddenly everything starts failing and you're like, uh, what? Imagine you're the CEO of TechRevel, a technology service company that's been skyrocketing up the Inc. 5000 list. You specialize in mobile app development and your business model is the epitome of modern entrepreneurial success. Sales are soaring, nearing a million dollars a month. And you've expanded your services to include video production, PR, and marketing. You've built an empire that spans from Houston to Dubai, and life is good. But then, the ground beneath you starts to shake. So I was like, okay, it's okay, it's just a, it happens. It's just a month or two months, and then it became three months, and then suddenly I was like, yeah, this is not changing. Inflation rears its ugly head. The economy takes a nosedive and your revenue plummets from $900,000 a month to a mere 90,000 in a matter of weeks. Clients are tightening their belts, pulling contracts, and your once thriving business is gasping for air. We were prepared for the good times, not for the bad times. And then we're not getting any new clients and the old clients are not converting, so yeah, it was bad. To make matters worse, the rise of AI and changes in Google's algorithm are pushing you further down the rabbit hole. You're caught in a storm, and there's no easy way out. I left everything else that we were doing and just barricaded myself. Literally moved my bed to the office, and I was like, I'm just living here for however long it takes for us to get out of here. So what do you do? How do you pivot? How do you adapt and survive in a world that's rapidly changing? This is the story of Abir Raza, founder of TechRevel. And this is The Reckoning. Abir, take me through the thinking behind where the company is right now and how you got to this place. To set a little context, you were a fast-growing company. You are part of the Inc. 5000. You had you know, sales that were approaching a million dollars a month. You're a technology services company, among other things, developing mobile apps. And suddenly, with everything that's happening with inflation, the economy, suddenly you felt the pain of that all at once, fairly recently. Take us through kind of where you were at and when you started realizing there was a problem. So I think for, for most uh, entrepreneurs, there's this uh, issue where you're not able to stop growing. You know, especially, I remember when we went to Inc. 5000 and we were the 624th fastest growing company with 824% growth in three years. And I was I was sort of looking around and I was like, my co-founder, who's our CTO and I'm, I serve as a CMO, um, we don't have a CEO. We kind of divide responsibility between us, each other. So we were looking around the room and we were like, why are we 600, you know, whatever. There's companies um, at least in my part, like he was super happy and I was like kind of depressed. So I was like, how do we get to the number one spot? And so what followed was crazy amount of, you know, non-thinking investment 
uh, not thought through in terms of the downside of things. So we started to kind of capitalize on everything that we could potentially do in terms of scalability. Uh, and we had been doing that since the time you started um, because you always want to kind of keep experimenting, kind of keep changing things and, and keep growing the company. We're now 300 people plus, and we started from like a thousand or investment six years ago. So you can sort of see the growth that we've had without any investor from outside. It's just profits being reinvested and reinvested and reinvested. So it was a compounding effect. One was that, you know, we just kept growing more businesses and trying to scale other products and services that we could add to the umbrella of services that we already offer. So we have uh, several brands like video production, a media company, a marketing company, a PR company. So we just kept on building more and more to create an ecosystem around it. And then we sort of expanded location-wise as well. We started from Houston and we started to Miami, uh, California, uh, DC, um, Dubai. Uh, we had like staff present in these locations and then COVID hit. We had to contract because, you know, it's bad time for everybody, I guess. And then we started growing again because after COVID, there was a huge boom, right? When we started to uh, scale back up again, we didn't really, you know, sort of look at the downside or, or what could potentially happen. And that happened uh, whatever could potentially happen started happening at the start of this year. It's a cool success story. I mean, you're growing fast. You start this between the two co-founders, really. You grow and you keep growing. And as you grow, you get more ambitious with growing or, you know, you're ranked here on the Inc. 5000 list. You want to get higher on that list. So you start looking for ways to grow more and you probably activate more business lines, more activities. You're trying to, you know, offer more services to your customer base and it keeps growing. But then it also, at the same time, you're investing a lot in that growth, but it makes you more vulnerable to different macroeconomic conditions, which starts to happen this year. And specifically that you're doing a lot of technology services for clients that might not be essential services that are good to have in boom times, but in tougher times, those might get cut. Is that what you started to experience this year? Yeah, because most of our services in Tekra will start with like a $50,000 price tag. So it's a large investment for an entrepreneur or a business to move towards their future. And most companies, they start to look at how do we sort of centralize in what we already have and sort of looking at other avenues of growth. Um, so we start facing that. And to injury, um, ChatGPT comes along and makes the whole process super aggressive in terms of you know, the competition that we face from other players in the industry. And then additionally, you know, the hot topic these days is just AI and, and not mobile development and things like that. And there has been a lot of change in terms of how development can be done cheaper. You know, things can be sort of automated or, or you can actually, uh, you know, create a lot of content, a, a lot of blogs, articles, things like that. So Google sort of starts to bring its its own policy in terms of um, search engines and stuff. So we get a hit from that. So we're kind of blindsided quite badly um, in terms of our traffic getting hit, in terms of the clients not having investments, so they're pulling their contracts. So I think for the past two months, it's taught me a lot of humility, honestly. Like, um, you know, where, where I feel like everything that I touched could turn into gold, and then suddenly everything starts failing, and you're like, uh, what? And our cost has grown exponentially because we were prepared for the good times, not for the bad times. So we're getting, we're getting like, you know, sort of squeezed on both ends. And then we're not seeing any new clients and the old clients are not converting. So yeah, it was bad. There's a few different issues there. So one is just the clients doing belt tightening, 
what did that look like in terms of revenue? I mean, I heard when we were talking before, you mentioned like you went from something like 900,000 a month in revenue to 90,000 a month in revenue. So 10%, did that happen overnight or did you get sort of indications or just suddenly people are cutting back on the type of development that you're doing? It was pretty drastic, um, like from 50% to not, I mean, I think to last month or the month before that it was uh, 10%. Last month it was about 20%. And this month we're projecting to get to 70% of where we were during the 5,000 days. So you saw it reduce and then what did you try to do to combat that? Did you try to say like, what's going on or talk to the sales team or is our pricing wrong? How did you respond to that? I think for the longest period of time, I was complacent. Complacent in the sense that I was more focused on other areas. We also launched a venture fund uh, on the side that started taking on startups and products that we could fund in. So we were invested in that front as well. So I was like, hey, it's okay. It's just a, you know, it, it happens. Like it's just a month or two months. And then it became three months. And then suddenly I was like, yeah, this is not changing. Um, we need to pivot. And, and I think the biggest defining moment was when I looked at the marketing data and I realized that this isn't going away anytime soon. And then so I left everything else that we were doing and just, you know, sort of barricaded myself, literally moved my bed to the office. And I was like, I'm just living here for however long it takes for us to get out of it. So my founder and myself are are generally doing like 12, 14 hour shifts every day. Yeah, now we're sort of doubling down or everything and sort of scaling up again. So one thing was the sales coming in. How much of that was influenced by, I know you said, it sounds like you do a good amount of SEO. You're getting organic traffic from Google. How much was impacted by that? I mean, the Google algorithm can change, but also Google is increasingly delivering more like direct results where they don't have to necessarily visit your site and sort of the open AI chat GPT trend starts leading itself there that maybe it's less SEO driven. What was the impact of that? Were you just getting less leads or was it just that the leads you were getting just harder to convert less dollar values what were you experiencing it was both but that's what i said right like the first indication which was the harder to convert was that hey we have the leads we can convert them we just need to figure out how right so we changed the process we try to you know button that up we try to uh add more collateral and sort of divide the pipeline into different stages and all those things that you would generally do to kind of make squeeze out as much juice as you can out of the leads that you have. The second part, which was um, more of a awakening for me, was that there's no point. We don't have anything in the backlog. So that's what really sort of led me towards figuring out how we can sort of pivot from there. And and by all intents and purposes, we already have. But yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting. What is the factor of the interest in AI? Was it just that more of the leads were like, help us use AI, develop applications, including AI, and it was just changing because that was the hot topic. And then once you go the AI route, now you have very fierce competitors, lots of coming in because it's like the most invested space there is right now, which super ramped up competition. Is that what you experienced? Yeah, I think the larger players like Microsoft and Google and Tesla and all the other companies have their own sort of take on AI and, and their own sort of entrenched positions. So I think for our smaller clients, it started to become like, you know, uh, these companies were already really big and now they have, I mean, they can pretty much control everything with it, the way AI is and, and sort of how it can create more opportunities for them to grow. Um, so there's no point in us trying to compete in that space. And then additionally, the smaller sort of uh, startups that were using AI to kind of get 
themselves ranked higher and sort of started getting more acquisitions, um, started scaling even faster. So I think the mid-tier clients that we used to get that were uh, sort of looking long-term and then sort of looking at how this could be a viable investment in the five years timeframe or 10 years timeframe, they just managed because at the end of the day, things are moving super fast and you're getting squeezed from both ends. So, uh, you know, I would assume one of the sort of driving factors and then, like I said, economy was a very huge impact as well, but more so than the shifting trends of uh, customer interest, um, we were impacted a lot um, from a standpoint of uh, our rankings in general, because I mean, until Google's new update came up, there were companies using AI for, you know, blogging and article submission and off page and on page and things like that, that would like drastically propel them beyond us uh, where we were in the top 10 in terms of the highest searched company in app development. So it was, you know, that was, that was the bigger sort of thread. I see. You mean just people that were just supercharging and could use it effectively to generate a lot of content that would help in SEO. And Google wasn't quite sophisticated enough to realize it's generated content yet. There's other tests you can do, other things. So they were getting a kind of an unfair advantage, you felt, in being able to harness that and use that to improve their SEO ranking. Yeah, I mean, because it's not just the blogs, right? Like, you can do a lot with ChatGPT in terms of, like, even doing a podcast, for example, right? So... We were more sort of focused on quality in terms of, you know, um, human written stuff and all that. And we were sort of resistant towards, um, you know, AI and, and that worked drastically against us. I mean, right now, I'll give you an example. One of the things that we did was completely revamped our business development efforts where we started scraping data off of scripts that we would use uh, from Zoom Info and sort of other places uh, in terms of intent and all those things. And then le like connecting that uh, through Open Graph with uh, ChatGPT to kind of get introduction emails written up with like contextual sort of um, sounding emails. Um, and there's some other stuff that we did in SEO and I can talk more through that as well. But what I realized was that that is what companies were already doing. And that was you know, changing the number, like, right. I mean, you would be able to write maybe five or 10 contextual emails in a day of well-researched emails. Now you could do 100, 200. Actually, there's no limit to that. So there's companies that are completely beating us in the dust with, with these approaches. So we need to kind of, we needed to figure out what, how to do to pivot. Tech Revel found itself at a crossroads. The rise of AI and the changing landscape of the tech industry has intensified competition to a boiling point. Companies like Google, Microsoft and Tesla were dominating the AI space, leaving little room for smaller players. Tech Revel's mid-tier clients were getting squeezed out, questioning the viability of long-term investments in technology. But that's not all. The company was also grappling with the impact of economic downturns and shifts in customer interests. They were losing their SEO rankings to competitors who were leveraging AI for content generation, putting them at a significant disadvantage. And let's not forget the internal struggles. Tech Revel was juggling multiple side projects and lacked a laser-focused strategy, diluting their core business efforts. So. What happens when you're backed into a corner facing insurmountable challenges? Do you throw in the towel or do you come out swinging? As you started realizing like, hey, this is urgent. 
I'm moving my bed to the office. <laughs> we're, we're taking long shifts. How did you start to think about the pivot? What were the steps you took? Was it think about new markets? Was it pivot services to more? I know you've done things in the restaurant industry, for instance, where you could provide essential services that are not nice to have, that are essential, that can help you weather the storm. Did you think about diversifying offerings so you weren't too concentrated in any one sector or type? How did you think about it? I think there was um, quite a few things that we did that weren't really necessarily done during the time. Uh, and I could talk through both of these things. One was uh, that we diversified early on in the business. So even though that kind of affected us in terms of um, you know the cost aspect, but that started to show it's uh, there's a universal sort of term that we use uh, for the economy in the Middle East. Um, and I'll kind of start with that. The Middle East economy always catches up to the U.S. economy five years later. So the sort of economic downturn that we were seeing in the U.S., it was the opposite in the Middle East. Our leads were just flowing in. Like, you know, I would say that, you know, we would probably get 8x or 10x the amount of leads that we would get in the U.S. and the Middle East. And that was a trend that was going on. So we just figured out how to button down our business development efforts there to start converting more sales. Because the sort of uh, mindset there is very different. So we had to kind of figure out what to work on and sort of added the team there to kind of offer these services very specific to uh, that market. So that revenue started flowing in. So if we're looking at 10% of our sort of the initial sales that we used to have, now it was about 40% because 30% was now coming from Middle East. So that was one thing that we did. I really sort of refocused our efforts there to kind of get that scaled up. And then additionally, like I mentioned, the AI side. So when we realized that this was not going away, we really, really started to get um, super focused on, on how can we introduce AI in every part of our service line. So we introduced that into development. So we started doing code um, using AI techniques to kind of uh, refactor it for us to kind of deliver the end product faster at our cheaper cost. And we started giving that cost back to our customers. We were able to reduce our cost um, and sort of compete more in the market. And as a CMO, I can, I can talk very specifically about marketing. One of the cool things that we did, and I really loved it, was our off-page strategy. So initially, it used to take RSU guys about three to four hours to do research and then do article submissions because they have to reach out to every website that our competitor was already ranked on and then, you know, send them a custom email saying that, hey, you know, yada, 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 we your article and we want to have ourselves listed there. Our competitors listed this here, but we have a more refreshed article, more et cetera, et cetera. So what we did was we used a script on AI to kind of start capture all the opportunities that our competitors are missing, which includes links that are disavowed or, or dormant or you know links that are not updated and things like that. So we start creating that list. We use another script to pull in uh, the email addresses of those people, uh, of those, of those uh, websites and blogs that, are, that we need to reach out to. So we started to get all of that in one place. And then we use ChatGPT to crawl through their website and tell us what are the opportunities and what things can we sort of mention in their email. Then we push that data into HubSpot and then we create a workflow in HubSpot that would allow us to automatically follow up on those points that we just mentioned. And then, I mean, our off page blew up. Like, I mean, I'm talking about from three article submission to about 30 article submissions in a day. 
so that started to have a drastic effect on our sort of rankings and things like that and started picking up and the leads started increasing a lot as well. And then we started using ChatGPT in our business development cases. So where we would spend like three, four days researching every single business case that we would get and try to suggest to the client, this is what you should, what you should do. ChatGPT helps have those drastically in terms of making that time like two hours instead of like two, three days. What is your recommendation for other entrepreneurs? Everyone says AI is going to, generative AI is going to be transformative, but we sort of don't know where to get start, where to focus our time, how to get actual ROI from it, as opposed to just like playing around with chat GPT. What is your recommendation? My recommendation would be just to get started. Like there is no point in waiting, like everybody's already there. AI definitely creates a threat for um, most companies out there, for most entrepreneurs out there, but it also creates an immeasurable number of opportunities. Like, for example, let's say you're a PR business and your your core business is to, you know, do these podcasts and stuff with influencers or people that uh, want to sort of get their personal branding outside the door. What you could potentially do is is run uh, a program on um, one particular industry, find out the top player in that space in terms of the mentions on Google Trends, pull that information, pull that data. And then pull another data in terms of volume of different keywords, in terms of what they're trying to signify themselves or what they're trying to push themselves as in terms of the biggest player in the market. And then you have potentially, let's say, one against 10, right? Like one is the biggest competitor. You can email 10 people saying that, hey, we see that this guy, Gary Vaynerchuk, is, is you know, uh, ranked on these words and, you know, has such, such a sort of affiliation. He's gotten himself listed already. These are the volumes that he's getting out of uh, these places for his clients and his engagement. We can get you that on that on those places if you just give us a shot. And these are the potential areas that we can actually get to. And this is all like done through AI. So you literally don't have to do anything. Like you just press a button and it's done. So just from that angle. So we introduced an AI service for our clients actually to figure out what are areas that we can automate and um, what are the areas that we can actually take off of their current uh, staff that is monotonous, that is, that is repetitive. So we started to see a huge boom in that particular sector as well. Um, so if you go to techtravels.com and, and search up our AI service, you can actually go through. I mean, it's already there in the market, AI as a service, IAS. So that is what we're trying to do with all our products and the service that we provide our clients. Focusing on the restaurant sector, how did that fit into the overall strategy? Why was that important? I mean, I think you've taken us through, you know, you're getting back to 40% of pre-disrupted revenue levels. Maybe this part, it sounds like you've back up to what, 50 or 60 or 70% as you've improved your SEO? How do you get all the way back? What does restaurant sector provide as part of that mix of pivots that you have to do? So I think um, the restaurant product started during COVID, surprisingly enough, because for us, we saw how the restaurant service pretty much closed down all across the world. And we, we saw technology take a very, very central role in bringing it back to the level that it once saw. Uh, it is still kind of struggling. So, you know, where you see a huge issue is where you also see opportunities. So we saw a huge opportunity there uh, first to expand into. And, and um, you know, coming from Karachi, Pakistan, I understand that the service sector of Karachi is very, very geared towards the, you know, the, the restaurant industry as a whole. And it's a large market for us to kind of scale in. And it is also a test market for us. If we can scale it here, then we can easily sort of scale it in the Middle East and then in the US as well. And there are 
already are companies like Toast and, and Square that are huge players, like, you know, one's worth $100 billion, the other one's worth 150 And the market is, you know, worth over a trillion dollars. So uh, we did see a lot of potential in terms of uh, scalability in this space. Uh, so we started working on the product during COVID. And it's just started to come out of its post-PETA stage. And the the approach that we've taken has allowed us to really uh, centralize ourselves as a very, very big player in this market, even though we're just coming up. We have, I mean, we just got off, out of post-beta like a month ago, and we have about, I think, about 20 contracts already, you know, locked in with customers uh, in just a month. A couple of things that we did um, that were really uh, fun for me as an, as an entrepreneur, as an experiment. Uh, we started a community around restaurant businesses where we would do these like sessions or events in our own cafeteria, which is pretty large. Uh, so we bring in restaurant owners, we'd bring in influencers in the restaurant industry, put them on the stage and be like, what do you think about technology in the restaurant space? And they would start to reiterate like, you know, what potentially we can do. So we get a lot of insight from that. And additionally, they would start to endorse service automatically. Just because we've given this, this platform, we talk about it, and we're not selling to them. We're not saying anything about Servizi or what we're trying to do. So they were start endorsing it by themselves. And we create, create, we could, we would take like snippets and things like that. We start, you know, putting putting that on social media and stuff. And then underlying, and this was the the core thing that I, that I'm interested in. I was very inspired with how HubSpot grew as a marketing platform, where they use knowledge leadership to really sort of break into that space of Salesforce and other players that were already entrenched. They would do like courses and, and uh, you know, certifications and things like that. And suddenly you had marketers putting their tags there on LinkedIn and everywhere else. This is what we started to do with Servizi because we saw that the restaurant industry in Pakistan is very sort of fluid in the sense that it's dependent on the resources that are there, the labor class, and they don't have anything being offered to them in terms of certification or, or knowledge or things like that. And there is no comparison. Like if I leave from a server and leave this restaurant, I have nothing to back me up except for I work for this restaurant. So we started empowering those people through the community where we use the leadership to kind of tell them that Servizi is the best in class. And then we started giving them certification and things like that. That helped us build connections within the restaurant industry we start getting us clients. We have no marketing strategy apart from this, and we're starting to get a ton of influence. Picture this. Tech Revel on the brink, facing a storm of challenges that could have been their undoing. But did they falter? No, they transformed. And let me tell you how. First, they shattered geographical boundaries. Forget the US, the Middle East was where the action was. They tailored their services and boom! Revenue from the region skyrocketed from a mere 10% to a jaw-dropping 40. But wait, there's more. AI wasn't just a buzzword, it was a game changer. From refactoring code to supercharging their SEO, AI became their secret weapon. Article submissions? They went from a sluggish three a day to a staggering 30. That's tenfold. And then the restaurant industry. When others saw a sinking ship, Tech Revel saw an untapped gold mine. One month out of beta, they already got 20 contracts in the bag. But the real kicker? Knowledge leadership. They empowered the unsung heroes of the restaurant world, offering them certifications and courses. So what's the takeaway? 
Tech Revel didn't just weather the storm, they became the storm. They turned challenges into launch pads, setting the stage for a future that's not just about survival, it's about conquering new frontiers. But one question remains, what of the future? Where are things right now? How much are you backed pre-disruption revenues? And what does your outlook look like for the future to not only get back to where you were, but also increase and grow and scale from there? That's a very difficult question. So it's very stressful to be in a situation that we thought we'd left back. Like, I mean, you know, our, our accounts were flush. We had enough capital to invest in other ventures and stuff. And then slowly and gradually, the news keeps getting tighter around your neck. Uh, and then you're like, you're just there now. You, you, you just have to like somehow grab on to whatever survival that you can and then hope to survive long enough to which you can come back to where you were and then go from there, right? So it's not about going back to square one, it's square minus eight, 90% or something. It's difficult, uh, it's stressful. Uh, the way I see this is it's a test. It's a very humbling experience because on one side, it would be nice to have success throughout and keep growing. But on the other side, what if this had come to us when we were hundred million dollar company? or, you know, a close, I mean, uh, my goal is to get it to a billion dollar, right? Which is why the SaaS platform, which is why the other sort of ecosystem products and services. So what if we were close to that and this happened? The downside from that would be drastic. So if it happens right now, it just shows us that we need to be more mindful of macroeconomic factors. And we need to bake that into the different startups that we create and always have a risk aversion strategy in place where our outflow is always controlled in terms of how much are we willing to put out. So yeah, I think in terms of the future case, um, I, I know for a fact that we're going to get out of it um, because we already have the you know metrics to prove that. Um, we're starting to change strides and uh, things are starting to improve. I can like if I you know if I went to the marketing side, like I could talk through about like ads that we're running in sequences. Um, on different uh, stages of the business development process. Like a customer that's on the contract stage is only seeing things that are related to contract everywhere on search engines and social media and everywhere else. I can talk about retargeting that we have incorporated, which we never had before. I can talk about um, the different assets that we have in place, which were never there before. So we're a lot stronger than we started. And that's starting to show um, the effects so by all our intents and purposes, not only are we going to get where we were before, but we will be probably 10x that in the next, uh, I would say, three years. That's the target. How has that impacted the relationship between you and your co-founder? How you view opportunities and challenges now? Does it make you more risk averse or does it make you want to take bolder bets? Oh, these questions just keep getting better. <laughs> um, well, it was it was challenging to start with. I think from a sale, considering that most of this happened on sales and marketing, I completely take the blame. So I was like, hey, this is my fault. I got involved in a lot of things which I shouldn't have, um, where we should have uh, doubled down on what we were doing. So we just got to fix this. And he was, he's always been very supportive to an extent where I sometimes refer to him as my second wife. Um, you know, so he was, he was like, how can I help? You know, what do we, what can I do? So we started getting more involved in marketing as well. And some of the sort of, you know, automation things that we did, obviously from his team, because he's the CTO. Um, so we we kind of synergized quite a lot more than we were before. Where marketing was siloed from production and sort of tech 
uh, where now it's integrated, where we have a project manager running like new uh, opportunities and new um, you know approaches that we're taking on from the tech side, where the performance marketing team kind of uh, has a direct line uh, of reporting towards uh, the tech side as well. So yeah, we've kind of uh, fixed some of the gaps that were existing before. I think it's made us a lot more stronger in terms of relationship-wise, the question that you asked. And additionally, uh, in terms of bets that we are making, I think we're taking bolder bets in our current business line. Like we just invested a lot of money uh, getting, you know, the enterprise version of HubSpot and some of the other tools that we need to kind of automate and make things more streamlined on the marketing end and on the sales end. Um, so we're making bolder bets in terms of our current business because we understand that we need a bold move to kind of pivot from where we were, we were at before and we need to go farther than we were. Final thing is for any entrepreneur dealing with a similar challenge, saying that like, hey, things are going great and suddenly it isn't. Or hey, we're used to always being in a growth mode, right? We're always used to always seeing our graphs going up and to the right. Or wow, I thought this was just, you know, maybe a blip in our overall story, but oh no, suddenly this seems more serious. What is your final advice to them on how to get through something similar to what you've faced during this past year? So I think there's no company that's safe from this. We already saw that Airbnb came to the point where it was almost bankrupt, right? Um, during COVID, we saw uh, Meta took, take a deep hit. We saw Google lose like, you know, a hundred billion or something in terms of its valuation when ChatGPT came out. There is no company that's safe from, um, you know, factors outside of your own control. And I would say that there are two things. One is that you can't keep on worrying about things that are outside of, of your span of control because then you're just going to become lethargic and not really do anything because there's so much that's out there that is going to beat you down and be like, okay, the future just looks like shit. Like global warming is going to, you know, kill all of us, whatever, right? So you don't get into that trap, right? Like control the things you can't control, ignore the things you can't. However, and this is something that I've learned very recently, when there's macroeconomic factors that would directly impact you, that you think is going to impact you long term, assume that's going to impact you next month. What would you do differently? You know, how would you change the way you're doing things? And then I'm not saying that 100% focus on pivoting or anything like, again, we're 300 people. It's hard to pivot when you're like, you know, you're focused on one thing, you're focused completely. But set aside 20% of your time or 10% or whatever you can afford and, and put it in your calendar and, and start having those discussions around worst case scenario, what are we going to do? Like, how is this going to change for us? And and it's a process. When you have to pivot in a month's time, then you put in those 14 hours and you become stressed. You have to take several steps back. You don't want to be in that situation. You have to always be planning ahead. I think good entrepreneurs, I'm not one of them, I guess, think ahead. They, they really understand uh, and then they start taking action from day one and sort of waiting till the water is up to your throat or whatever. Imagine being at the helm of a thriving tech company, only to find yourself in a whirlpool of challenges that threaten to sink the ship. Tech Revel faced just that. A plummeting SEO ranking, fierce competition in the AI space, and a shifting economic landscape that left them gasping for air. But did they drown? Far from it. They pivoted, and how? Diversifying into the booming Middle East market, embracing AI to supercharge every facet of their business, and even venturing into the restaurant industry. 
Tech Revel didn't just adapt, they evolved. They turned challenges into stepping stones, transforming their business model to not just survive, but thrive. And the future? That's not a question mark, but an exclamation point. Abir Raza sees a 10x growth on the horizon, fortified by lessons learned and a newfound resilience. So what's next for Tech Revel? The journey ahead is not just about recovery. It's about revolutionizing the tech space, one bold move at a time. And with that, it's case closed. This was brought to you by Top Thought Leader. Find out more at topthoughtleader.com.